COVID-19 is still impacting families and communities throughout the world. But here in the U.S., the toll has been worse than anywhere else. And nuestra gente has been on the front lines of it all. As our country got back to work, Latinos pivoted from being first responders during the lockdown to being essential for the reopening. Our community is overrepresented in the service and food industries, both of which have been the hardest hit and the first to get back to work as the country returned to some kind of normal. And Latino small business owners, they too have been getting the country running again with little help to get through. To talk more about the issues our community is facing, we've invited Sergio Gonzalez to the Pulso podcast. Sergio is the deputy director of the Immigration Hub, an organization that helps fight anti-immigrant narratives and dangerous immigration policies. This is nothing short of catastrophic on our communities. It's catastrophic. It's not bad. It's not concerning. It's not troubling. It's catastrophic in terms of our public health and how the infection rates for Latinos and younger communities are much higher than the rest of the population. But then there's like this economic side to it. And um, the fact that so many small businesses, which are being disproportionately impacted, right, whether it's the salon or it's the restaurant, Latinos really were fueling the small business economy in this country. 34% of new small businesses in the last decade were being opened by Latino owners. And uh, that includes a lot of immigrant owners. Um, you know, immigrants tend to be entrepreneurs and small business owners. You know, the dry cleaner that you take your clothes to, or again, like, you know, we're talking about where you might go get your car repaired. And so the small business industry in particular, as we've faced shutdowns, have really been decimated. And so you have all these people and these small businesses and the people that they employ who are being really hurt economically. And then you have a administration that is doing everything but helping people. This is like a perfect storm for Latino and immigrant communities. There's so many people who right now are at a point of desperation. And I just think that we're not necessarily seeing these stories in the news, but they're there. And I was talking to a friend in Colorado. He's a 24-year-old Latino, and he was laid off three months ago. He's also an immigrant. He worked as a cook, and he has two kids, and he hasn't been paying rent for the last four months. His landlord has given him a reprieve, but his landlord let him know that, you know, he didn't know if he was going to be able to afford that because his landlord lost his job. And so now he has to figure out where he's going to live and where he's going to take his kids. As Sergio shared, we all know someone who has been personally affected right now. How could we not when more than 7 million people in the United States have contracted this virus and more than 200,000 people have died because of it? The challenges of COVID-19 hit us close to home here at Pulso. One of our staffers' family in particular is really feeling the strains that this pandemic is causing. My family is from Jalisco, Mexico. My uncle was the first to migrate to the U.S. and worked as a construction worker and waiter until he saved up to open his own carniceria. He built his own business from the ground up. 
The rest of my family followed to help make his dreams come true and in search of a better financial situation. My mom and I were the last to join our family here, so we actually came in 2002. She brought me when I was just seven years old, so um, Mexico is a distant memory to me. He came at a time where Latino businesses weren't very common, and so this was kind of like revolutionary in our city. Like, oh my gosh, we now have our own carniceria. Like, it takes you back to your country. It takes you back home. I feel like my uncle's carniceria is... It's it's the American dream, right? It's coming to the United States, starting your own business, and being successful at it. He has more than 40 employees. Most of them stay for, for years. I mean, he has employees that have been there for 10 plus years. That was my first job throughout uh, high school. Luckily, we are considered essential. So while not everyone has been so blessed as to keep their jobs, um, my family has been really busy these last few months. But at the same time, you know, being an essential worker means being more exposed to COVID-19. So in my family's case, they are exposed, uh, you know, to this virus every day. So customers can go and buy groceries and other necessities. But I know that even though they are being exposed, they're still so grateful to be able to have a job to go to so they can, you know, pay their bills and put food on the table. Because I know for a lot of immigrants that their jobs aren't considered essential. This is not the case. And so now a lot of people are struggling. And to add to that, they're not getting stimulus checks, even though most of them pay taxes. And in fact, my stepfather, who is an American citizen, didn't get a stimulus check for himself or for my American-born brother, all because my mom is undocumented. It's it's discrimination at this point. And to have to deal with um, the pandemic and the uncertainty of, you know, your job and on your immigration status through all of this, to add discrimination on top of that. I mean, this is what undocumented immigrants are having to go through during this pandemic. Many undocumented immigrants live in fear of even the things that should be a public service. How many are afraid to call the police when they are victims of a crime? How many are afraid of going to a hospital or calling an ambulance? Imagine being exposed to a virus every day of your life, but refusing to get tested due to the fear of getting deported. It sounds like a horrible nightmare. I have no idea what it's like to live with that fear. First, I was born here in the U.S., privilege number one. Second, Borso was a fully remote team since before the pandemic started. Thank goodness for that. And I also have health insurance. Yet another privilege. I'm about as lucky as it gets when it comes to living in coronavirus times. But less than 16% of Latinos in the U.S. have the luxury of working from home, and a quarter of our community doesn't have health insurance. We talked to someone who can speak to all of these challenges. She's an immigrant from Honduras living in Miami, Florida. Here's her story. Well, I work at a garment embroidery factory. I've been working there for more than 20 years. I feel okay, but now with this virus going around, I am a little scared. 
has been quite ugly because I expected this to be a couple of months and then the rates would go down, but every day the people who are infected are growing and so it is scary. It scares me to go to the supermarket. It scares me to go outside. I try to take care of myself as much as I can. I try to take all possible precautions so that the virus doesn't reach me. I feel a little scared because we all use the same things. We use the microwave, we use the fridge, we touch everything. We use the bathroom. We all use everything. Yeah, I am prepared with my chlorine, with my napkins, with my gel, with everything, but still, it's scary. They told us from one day to the next, today half of you work, tomorrow the other half work. And then that they were going to open in two weeks, but they did not open. And then they told us to apply for unemployment. And that took more than a month to communicate with the unemployment office because their page is very full. I was home for four months. I felt good because I didn't go anywhere. I was home alone, and now that I have to leave to go to work, I am a little scared. In 2020, in the United States of America, for many, fear is still not enough to merit protection. Working in high-risk jobs where contact with others is unavoidable is the reality for so many Latinos. Add to that the pressure to keep working because you have no financial safety net and you find yourself here with no choice but to put your life at risk during a global pandemic. A pandemic that is literally taking our lives. Official stats from the Center for Disease Control, or the CDC, show that Latinos are hospitalized and dying from the coronavirus at four times the rate of white Americans. To date, almost 40,000 Latinos have died because of COVID-19. I asked her, what would happen if she, ni Dios lo quiera, were to get COVID-19 at work? If any of us gets the virus, we'd have to pay for our own expenses. And we don't have insurance. We don't have anything. I'm really not very demanding, but at least, even if it was a couple of weeks that we would have been paid, it would have been nice. But they gave us absolutely nothing. While undocumented people work around the clock to support all of us in this time of need, who's supporting them? Despite being core members of our country's economy, undocumented workers have been demonized by cruel politicians and left out from legislation that could help ease the strain of this virus on them and their families. Congress passed two relief packages worth more than $2 trillion to aid unemployed American citizens and struggling businesses, Yet no financial relief has been given to tax-paying, undocumented Americans. Luckily, immigrant rights groups are organizing to advocate for them. Back in April, the Immigration Hub spearheaded a letter where more than 30 Latino leaders and organizations, including Pulso, signed on to demand that Congress take bold action. Here's Sergio from the Immigration Hub again to talk about what's being done to help undocumented Americans. 
I really do applaud House Democrats because they passed the HEROES Act, which is a very, very robust coronavirus relief bill. And it includes all the things we asked for in that letter. It ensures that people, regardless of their immigration status, have access to testing and to treatment. It drastically expands funding for testing and treatment, right, which helps, you know, the Latino community. Um, it also ensures that immigrants and immigrant families and mixed status families where you might have an American parent and an immigrant parent, or you might have a U.S. citizen child and immigrant parents, it ensures that everyone has access to financial assistance to cash payments. And that's so critical right now because one of the things that's really important is just to ensure that any family has access to financial assistance, right? So people can afford the basic necessities of life, which is a roof over their head and food. The you know other piece that we asked for, which was extremely important, is extension of work visas for certain immigrant populations, which include people that have temporary protected status and include DACA recipients. 200,000 DACA recipients are in essential industries. They lose their work authorization. All of a sudden, the doctor or the nurse is unable to go to work and care for patients um, and help deal with the situation that we're in. We know we can't count on this administration to take care of our people right now. Thankfully, many organizations are stepping in to provide assistance for undocumented workers while we wait for the Senate to act. The National Immigration Law Center um, has a website called protectimmigrantfamilies.org. And it is a really good place to go to, if you're an immigrant, what options you might have for support and assistance. So I'd say that's number one. Number two is some states and cities have included in their own budget to address coronavirus money to help uh, immigrant families. California is a place that is doing that. New York is a place that is doing that. So I think it's important that people are aware what resources they can get through their city or their state, whether that is, you know, testing, treatment, or even some financial assistance. This crisis is one of the most serious challenges our community has faced. From small businesses to individual families, no one is immune to the effects of COVID-19. We don't know when the pandemic will end, but what we do know is that we're going to take care of each other like we always do. We'll keep helping the fam with that unemployment form, picking up extra masks for Tia Sol, and cope with laughter, which always gets us through. You can subscribe to the Pulso Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews help us get our message to Latinos around the country. The Pulso Podcast is produced and edited by Charlie Garcia. Lisanne Ramos is our researcher. Original music by Julian Blackmore. Our cover art was designed by Jonathan Torres. And I'm your host, Liz Alarcón. The voices you hear in our intro, that's the Pulso team. Thanks for listening.
Hey, Pulso fam. I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio 80 podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? Atlas Lingue host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language, and this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.